taking your Bibles, if you will. We're continuing our series on why church, why church. And uh, today, I want to speak on God's purpose for the church. Uh, there's probably many, many purposes that he wants to, to edify, to do this and that. We know the key verse has never been completely fulfilled. It's Matthew 28, go to the nations, uh, lead people to Christ, disciple them, teach them to obey everything Christ said. We live with that great commission no matter. It's reach the lost, train the saved. Reach the lost, train the saved. And so uh, I want to focus on Ephesians 4, kind of the masthead of what I started this church about was to train saints because my burden uh, growing up in the church, uh, I was saved among some wonderful people, loved the Lord, uh, but in my particular local church, uh, you, you would never know the Bible if you went there for 20 years because it was not a teaching ministry. We could sing wonderful, a lot of great services. Uh, I was saved there. Uh, I would have been saved that night in a bar if somebody would have just made the invitation. I was so under conviction. I, and I'm not putting down any, I was, just, I was ready to be born, like birthing the baby. It, it was my time. But I grew up under a ministry of uh, very little Bible teaching and uh, so it wasn't until I'd been saved, let's see, uh, six years or so before I ever heard of the word uh, justification, let's say, which is a, a major thing. And many of you today may have never heard it uh, or you don't know what it means. Uh, I find out that as my journey has gone along, how many people uh, remain ignorant of the Bible even though they're faithful to a church. Uh, and uh, I think there's so many things put at our doorstep. Do evangelism, do care, do this, do that. One day it hit me, there will always be sick people, but there will not always be physicians. There will always be people in need. Will we ever take time to train people how to minister to those needs. Because uh, I remember it was Rich Rollins one time, he, he gave me the number, how many well people it takes to run a hospital. You might have 40 patients, but you might wind up with 200 people running the hospital. Maybe more than that. And so uh, we welcome the needy. We welcome people however they come. But God has a goal for those that are saved. Look at Ephesians 4. We'll pick up at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. And who would that be? be believers. Did he say to each preacher? To each apostle? And then who is that us again? Wake up, call back. The us is us, believers. And he's writing to the church here. This is a community. 
pastored by Timothy, according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has distributed gifts to all of his children, and uh, they come in different measurements. Uh, some are gifted greater, some maybe lesser, some are going to have a... There's a lot of evangelists God has given the church. Not everyone's a Billy Graham. Not everyone's going to have that kind of worldwide impact, but it doesn't mean they can't be an evangelist, right? But God determines the breadth and the length, and so he says, I've measured out to my children, I've measured out gifts to them. Every child, and I hear some children of God say, well, I don't know what to do in the church. I, I'm not gifted. Uh, you just call God a liar. God says you're gifted. Uh, and then it says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high and he led a host of captives, he gave gifts to men, Psalms 68. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. Now some make, he went into paradise and all that, and, and that may be true, but here, the lower regions is he's coming from all the way up here, the lower regions. He was incarnate. He came to the earth. So he came to the earth, and after that, he, the one who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And as a part of his victory, because the Psalm 68 is a conquering general, he, as he, when the generals would come back, they would bring slaves that they'd captured, and uh, they would also bring gifts they would give to the population. They distributed gifts to the soldiers. It was a big celebration, and the victory was celebrated by the giving of gifts, and the conquering general would display them. The picture is of Christ. He came from heaven. He came to the earth. He ascended back. And as this conquering general that conquered death, hell, Satan, and conquered uh, the grave, when he goes up, he says, I distributed gifts, and my gifts were spiritual gifts of service among my people. And he begins to name some of the gifted men that he gave to the church to, for the church to fulfill its purpose. Now watch what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, same for pastor, and teachers. Now, why did he give them? And we're going to look at six things that ought to happen in us if one of these gifted men have been able to train us. You see, the church is God's university for teaching the saints. It's got, did you know in uh, Ephesians 3, he said that angels attend the local church and they observe the wisdom of God when they see Jews and Gentiles meeting in the same place and worshiping the same God. Chapter 3. Now over here, God the Son is the president of this university. And his curriculum is the Word. And his faculty happen to be gifted teachers gifted men and women to teach the Word of God. Now, what we're going to see is what 
will be the result of this being set up and this being taught by these men. Let's see what he says. He gave these men to equip the saints. What in the world does that mean? Uh, to equip the saints. What does that mean? Well, the word equip has various usages. It's used in Matthew 4 that Peter was mending the broken nets. They mended them. So see, the nets were meant to capture the fish, but when you got a huge hole in it, because there's a hole in it and it's never been mended, so what does he do? He puts it in repair so it can function like it was intended to. Okay? So we got to take these people that God has saved and repair them, repair them from what sin has done in their life, from whatever. We've got to repair them and mend them. It was used in the medical field of setting a bone, like an orthopedic surgeon set the bone. And uh, you've got the bone, but when it's broken, it just can't lift. It cannot function. So the picture is the people of God need to be mended. The people of God need their bones set. He said in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scriptures inspired of God is profitable for doctrine. That verse 17 said, in order that the man of God might be thoroughly outfitted for every good work. Amen. The curriculum to become equipped is to come to know the word of God. Now, you don't have to know Hebrew, you don't have to know Greek, and you don't have to know you don't have to know all the kings of Israel, but you need to know the message of the Bible. Uh, what does it teach? And I've been around so many ignorant Christians that you know why men don't like to come to church? They're intimidated because of their ignorance. They can run a company, they can be a top electrician. They could be atop this, atop that. As soon as we come to church and we say, turn to Genesis, they're asking their wife, where's that? That's why oftentimes pew Bibles, you just tell them the page number. To, it's to be friendly. It's to take away intimidation from people. What if I said turn to Lamentations? Uh, or, well, how about Habakkuk? It takes you the next 20 minutes. Just don't look at the index. <laughs> See, and you don't have to worry about the Bible order as much. What does it teach that does, has an effect on me? I, I need to be equipped, um, and I need to be made functional. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. You're liable to be jumping off of buildings because I feel like if he bore Jesus up, he can bear me up. You know, you really need to understand that verse before you jump. You got zeal, but not knowledge. And I'll tell you something else. Knowledge without zeal is dangerous. I, I know, but I don't have any push. I don't have any burn to pass it on. So all of God's people were meant to be equipped, equipped and made ready for service. Number two, he said, the equipping will manifest itself to 
that they would do works of ministry or of service. Uh, so a guy says, well, I'm equipped. The next thing I can ask, uh, okay, you, you claim to know a lot. What do you do in the way of Christian service? Uh, no, I, I don't feel called any of that. We used to kind of kid about spiritual gifts. If you ask a guy to do something, he said, no, that's not my spiritual gift. No, your gift is laziness. Your gift is uh, you, you don't have enough sense to see the need and just meet it. You're equipped to serve. And so a guy or a gal, whoever, I, oh, I know the Bible in forward and backward. Well, where are you ministering? Where are you having a ministry to one another? Uh, well, I, I'm not into that. I, you hear this. I've already served my time. How old are you, 30? What do you mean you served your time? No, no, no. Well, I got hurt. Well, everybody has. Welcome to the club. You must be a human being living among sinners. We got to stop whining. We got to step up. Am I doing what Christ saved me to do? And He's given men, and today there's so many. You know what? If this ministry wasn't equipping you, how many radio preachers are out there going? Some good ones. Uh, does anybody have access to internet? They actually have all kinds of. If you want Bible information. Should you go stupid? I can't hear any of you. Yeah, answer me. I'm giving you that permission. And so I said, have I been equipped for service? That, that's the goal. Okay. Then watch what he says. Then when I'm equipped for service, third thing that happens, I'll be able to be building up the body of Christ. I'll be building up the body of Christ. The word is edify or to build up. Uh, a nice verse that goes right with this is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And look what that says, who edification hangs out with. I like this. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up, just as you are doing. Uh, do any of you ever see, do we still have encouragement cards in the lobby? We do? Anybody here ever sent an encouragement card? One, two, three. I mean, this is the remnant. The rest of you discourage. They encourage. No. I mean, have you ever written it? Have you ever written an encouragement card to anyone? Have you ever uh, went to one of the children's workers and you just handed them an encouragement card as you picked up your child? Said, thanks so much for loving my child. Is that corny? Has any teacher here ever received one of those? Yeah. We used to hand out encouragement cards all the time. At staff, we'd write, we'd write encouragement cards. I probably wrote my wife more of that during that season than the other time. Tried to encourage her to be a good wife. I mean, for, in thanking her for her ministry. 
I knew that'd wake you up. Uh, do you have in your bent and in your makeup the equipping, the, uh, the guidance that do you build up people around you? We're not talking uh, puff up. We're not talking about smoozing. We're talking about building them up in Christ, uh, encourage them as a believer in a pagan world. If they get around with you, a good test sometimes is just ask this. When you're with people, just put out a monitor. See, what this person did for you, that's not really fair, but we do it. What did they, after having been with them, do I feel built up or jumped onto? Built up or ignored? And then, and then I think the fair question is, what effect do you think you had on them? It's mutual. It's in the body. This is supposed to be body life, dynamic. That if you come down here on Sunday and you're around a bunch of saints, it ought to be the edification meeting of the week. You ought to get built up. You ought to get built up, not frozen. I, don't, I grew up in a small Pentecostal church, South Richmond. There's only maybe 50, 60 of us. But I grew up in old-fashioned testimony services. Anybody ever been in those? Okay. You can hear a lot of poodle stories, and I'm talking about my navel, and stuff like that. But my father would tell us, because they always kind of waited. The testimony service was open, and my dad would always say, I always go to church prepared to edify the saints. He's the only man I ever heard say that. Now, we don't have open testimonies as a whole. One reason, we found out a lot of people, the bigger the crowd, they don't feel comfortable doing it. But so you have to do it one-on-one. -on -one. But he always, he always had a verse. Yeah, he said, I don't go to church, I'm prepared. What did you do? In your mind, just think the way our church life is. Did you come prepared to edify anyone? It's just questions. I'm not trying. I don't want to make you guilty because guilt has short-term effects. I'm just asking you, for you, real questions. Do we, do we even think this way in church? If I go down there, I just pray for a short sermon and good donuts. I will be blessed. Or you think, I want to be a blessing. I intend to be a blessing. Saints who are being taught, they become equipped, the nets mended in their life, they will engage themselves in service. You know what? If you're not serving someplace in the body, you're either not saved or you're in disobedience. It's, it's not, and it didn't have to be a formal, I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm a deacon. Oh, no, no, cut that. I'm involved in serving the living God. I am serving the living God. I mean, that's what he says. Then, we always say, what is a mature saint? One is he's a serving saint. And then, there's a saint that knows how to build up others. Some of you, uh, do you know how to do that? Could we send you to the dying and you go next to them? Could you say a word to a woman about to become a widow as she watches her husband die? What would you say? 
What would God say? See, the Bible, you don't have to be profound. Just pass on what God has said. Now, he goes on. He says, we want to do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith. What is that? And of the knowledge of the Son of God. And the word knowledge there is experiential knowledge. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants you to look like Christ eventually. You're growing. And it's wonderful to be a child when you're a child. It's terrible to act like a child when you say you become an adult. So child is a wonderful thing. But our natural logic thing is to become mature. Think of this child. I can't change my diaper. I can't get my nourishment. I'm dependent on my mother. I'm de- I, they're totally dependent, and that's a phase. That's all right. We got. But Paul said, when I wanted to treat you like adults, you were still acting like kids. First Corinthians 3. You're fussing with each other all the time over the toys in the playroom. You're, you're immature. I wanted to feed you meat, but you can only take milk. Milk is food digested by another. If you don't know it, honey, the cow did the digesting. You're drinking the product. A little gross. <laughs> Water sounds good right now. But milk is something that you're always, you're always living off of other teachers doing the digest. Can you read the Bible and get anything out of it for yourself? Or are you teacher-dependent? God gave teachers, but he doesn't want you to be teacher-dependent. He wants you to learn to read the Word yourself and have God talk to you through it. But he said, I'm wanting you to come to the unity of the faith. Now, faith is used two ways. It's used of subjective faith. I believe God. That's subjective. But it's also used of the body of truth, the object of my faith. Jude said, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but I had to talk to you about the faith once for all delivered. Now, listen to this. I want you saints there at Ephesus to come where you are unified in your understanding of the great truths of Scripture. I don't want this dogma, this heresy. I want you to come under that. And what what did he do to guide this? In the first six verses of chapter 4, he gave them seven areas I want all of you to be agreed upon and to understand. Listen to him. Chapter 4. He starts in verse 4. There is one body. What is the one body? Two. Am I hearing blank? Is there a Presbyterian body? Pentecostal body? Baptist body? How many bodies? One. There's one church. A lot of people are fussing over labels, but who cares how you label an empty can? What matters is you having something in your soul. One church. Can you agree on that? He expected them to. And some of you are so sectarian. You went, the first thing you want to say, what group are you with? What group are you with? As though the labels. 
matter. No, are you in the one true church? You only get into it by coming through the door, Christ. Watch this. He goes on. Uh, oh, watch this. Just as you were called to one hope. What is the hope of the church? Looking for that blessed hope, the appearing of the great God, our Savior. When's the last time you thought about Christ is coming? He is coming, friend. He's coming. I don't care if you've got him coming before the trib or after. He's coming. He's coming. Any moment. That's my hope. Do you have it? Do you understand it? Do you know that even after this election, the king is coming? The real king is coming. And this world is going to evolve into a bigger mess every year. So quit worrying about who gets voted in. They're all going to make a mess out of it eventually. I'm sorry. Sorry if I offend your politics, but I'm lying to you right now. Politicians can't deliver this nation. But you ought to pray about what you vote. Because this time, you know, you've got to be careful because they've decided we can't be eating eggs unless the hen had enough room to roam. That's one of the propositions. I mean, it's Proposition 8. And California plans to say you've got to have so much free roaming space or all the egg industry is going to Texas. So you're going to be paying double what you pay for eggs because we've got to stay a clean state on what we eat while we're selling pornography left and right. But I've got a hope. He's coming. God saved thousands of young people in the 60s because our boys were dying in Vietnam and McNamara was lying to us. LBJ was lying. It's documented. Westmoreland was lying about how many were dying and our young people running scared. Thank God I had a 4D classification. And men were saying, I'm not going to Vietnam. I'm not dying. And I hate the politicians lying about this war. And then all of a sudden, a guy writes a book on the coming of Christ, the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Thousands of Calvary chapels were born out of it. Born out of it. They said, you gave us hope. We're burning the streets. Drugs is going on. Timothy Leary gave us LSD how to blow our minds. We're living in Haight-Ashbury. We're living on sex. We're living on drugs. We're going to hell. Everything's up for grabs. And all of a sudden, a man says, and I want to tell you right now, Jesus is coming. And if you know him, when the world's on fire, you'll dwell with him forever. That gave them hope, and they came to Christ. Thousands of them, thousands of them, thousands. California kids got saved. Can you believe that? When I was in Virginia, the pastor introduced me. He's from the left of the country, even a left-wing country, a left-wing state, the most liberal state going. God saves when he gives people hope, when he gives it. And they won't get it from California politics. They're going to get it from Jesus. I want the saints to know this. Do you know that? Do you know that? Is that a conviction? If you don't, you need to study your Bible and say, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Come, Lord Jesus, come on. Come on. I'm ready. Come on. Bring it on. 
I'm wanting to go home. I'm ready to see his face. I'm ready to see his face. I remember when I was terrified at the thought of him coming. But I've been saying now for 60 years, come, Lord Jesus, I don't care if I'm asleep. I used to, when I went home, I'd go in the house. If nobody was there, I thought, oh, oh, it's happened. <laughs> They've all been raptured. Boy, but by the time I hear one voice, and whoo, there's one Christian that said, yes, I must still be delayed. Man. Thank God he was long-suffering toward us. He's waited a long time for you to come to him. Amen. He wants you to, you, you can have hope today. Amen. In this service, I don't care if you've got cancer. I don't care if your kids are mad at you. If your home's in trouble, you can have hope. Amen. You can know the future. And it's not in the stock market. It's in Jesus. Amen. He went on and said, uh, you have you been called to one hope. You've got one Lord. How many lords for the church? One. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He's the boss. He's got all authority. It's what he wants for Valley. Do we want to obey his commission to reach unsafe people? Larry just shared with me a figure that only 2% of Christians ever invite anyone to church with them. 2%. I'm forced to be a Calvinist. If God wasn't choosing people, we wouldn't ever reach them. Our evangelistic efforts are so weak. Oh, I believe in free will. Well, good. Why don't you use it to reach someone? I believe we ought to go after the lost, do you? Haunting questions. I'm talking to many of you folks been in the church for 45 years. You ought to be mature giants. You ought to be telling Swindoll what to preach <laughs> because you know the word so well. Yeah. Well, he goes on, don't want to bore you with these basic doctrines. One faith, one faith yeah. is the body of truth. We found it. One baptism. I take that to be spirit baptism signified by water baptism. I was immersed into the body of Christ, and I declare that when I get water baptized. So I include both. Uh, one God. How are you doing on that? Do you know anything about your God? Can you name 15 things about God? Attributes, nature, essence. What about the plan of God? about the sovereignty of God? What is predestination? We know you don't believe it because you don't understand it. God believes it. Why don't you? Now, I get that all the time. People say, well, you don't. I mean, people leave. They left my series on salvation because I taught one night on election. I don't buy it. I said, well, that just makes you an unbeliever. God buys it. He stated in his word. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Did you hear what I said? You didn't choose me. I chose you. Amen. Well, that can't be. I just, God can't do stuff that way. Well, why don't you quit playing God and say, I'm under one Lord. Whatever he says, I must believe. Amen. Amen. I would just say, I don't understand it all. Well, welcome. Now we feel company. I don't either. Carolyn's always talking to me. Boy, I struggle with sovereignty and, and human responsibility. I said, welcome, honey. Theologians for 1,900 years have been trying to figure it out. Amen. 
welcome to the tension. Isn't it wonderful? I still read verses that I believe that I can't explain. Yeah. You know, Larry being here last week, you've got so much choir. Larry, you just spoiled the daylights, huh? You guys ruined it for me to come back. I'm ticked at it. Uh, let's go on here. One father. But he said, you come to know the faith. You come to grow up in the faith. Then five, he says something will happen. You will quit being treated like infants that are being tossed to and fro and being deceived by all these various doctrines. And uh, look at this, he said, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, it meant to throw the dice, trickery, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Uh, when you grow up in Christ, you quit being deceived by the devil. Did you know that according to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, he said in the last days, demons will attack the church and pervert many doctrines. They'll pervert the teaching of marriage yes, and all of that. And here we have same-sex marriage. I think a, a horrendous thing that the Catholics came up with will teach a priest that they ought to be married to the church but not married to a woman and look at it, all of the immorality going on because they made a law that wasn't taught in the Word of God. They messed with marriage. It's wrong. It's demonic. A man's sex drive wasn't meant to be married to a mystical church. It was meant to have a partner in life, not a mystical church and a bride. It's a damnable heresy. On and on. Uh, he said in 1 John 4, Beware, because in the last days, many will come who are antichrist, denying that Christ came in the flesh. He said, These you must discern the spirits that come. If an evil spirit came to you and started lying, how would you know how to discern it? Have any of you ever been lied to by the devil? Do you think Peter was ever lied to by the devil? Get behind me, Satan. No. Hey, hey, this is going to be one of the leaders of the church. There's been a few board members I think the devil got his vote through. Yeah. How, how can you filter satanic lies to your mind? Get, get through this. Get through this. Resist the devil. Stand in God's might. I was losing my mind because I was having a breakdown, never officially, when I was at a school. And uh, as I was breaking down and just couldn't, Fran and my wife had to help me put diplomas together. I, I, I didn't have enough mental power to do it. I was spent. And when I lay in that bed, I did two things. I called my mom and dad and my sister Hazel, come and pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And at night I went to bed, I put the Bible on my mind. Right there, I, put it on, I lay in there, Carolyn knows, and I prayed, 
For you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Lord, I'm not going to lose my mind serving you. You've got to restore my mind. You've got to restore my mind. His word is like a shield. That block. I was praying this morning, God just revealed another lie I've been buying. I'm all the time having to judge lies I've been believing. Are you believing any lies? He said, I want you to get where you're not tossed to and fro. You know, I have some in the church that are always telling me the latest heresy. I have to tell you, I'm not looking for any new doctrines. I'm trying to figure out the old one. Stay with the book. Quit reading all the books out there today that don't subscribe to this book. Amen. Don't waste your money nor your time on lies. And, and when, when, you, when are you going to turn off some of that media coming to your house? Amen. Who's running that house? You or the devil? Amen. They're your kids. you got to have the discernment to turn that trash off. And they're lying to you. Lying. Lying, lying to your girls. you, you got to have sex on the date or you'll never be married. Why don't you teach her, let me tell you what the truth of God says. Tell your boys what the truth of God says. We need to quit being tossed to and fro and cussing the culture and talking about how bad California is. The culture's always been bad, and it always will be because it's run by unbelieving world in the lap of Satan. The church was born in the Roman Empire, friend, with sex on every corner and emperors that were madmen. And the church survived the lion's den. It survived Diocletian. It survived every emperor. We still got a church because of who the Lord of the church is. We've got one Lord that's greater than hell and greater than rulers. He's greater than Homeschooling isn't the only thing that'll save your kids. It'll be a living Lord that invades your home. Amen. Public school is bad enough. Homeschool, I see people get into everything. Oh, do everything you can. I pay tuition for private school. And my wife worked, never got a dress from it. She just paid tuition. Because we're trying to preserve them from the corruption of this culture. But I gotta tell you, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in us than he who's in the world. And he finally says, I want you to grow up telling the truth, telling the truth, and become mature, not infants. And then he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Did you know what? According to the Word of God, if all the pastors in this church died, it wouldn't keep the church from growing. If every member functioned. What, what did he say? He said, everything's held together because everything's equipped, and each part is doing its part. The eye isn't over here whining that it's not the ear. And the ear's not whining, it's not the tongue. Uh, no, no, I'm not gifted like ever. I'm gifted to do what I do. All my married life, Carolyn has gravitated towards children's ministry. I'm always gravitated to it and through it. <laughs> Marilyn 
her, Mary and Frieda. I mean, the people who have done our children, Andrea, these children, fabulous, fabulous. Ron Hughes, I admired him, loving children. We need you. You're wonderful assets. What are you doing? He said, if we all function as God designed, a functioning, equipped body will cause the church to grow. And uh, I grew up a small church. In a small church, the pastor did everything. That's why they didn't grow. Might reach 100, doing good. But, I mean, they set up the chairs, broke them down. They had to make all the hospital calls. They, had to, they did all that stuff because you had to do it all. You had to be omnicompetent. And uh, all you did is wore them out. And you had many times less effective ministry from a guy up here than one of you. I think of how women used to always go to Donna Tangay when they were having great sorrows. Here's a woman, her husband left her, left her with three children. The church hired her. People like my brother and different ones clothed their kids, got their teeth fixed. The men and women of this church stood around that dear sister and said, we're not going to abandon you. Well, boy, any broken woman, it seemed like they would want to come in. They'd want to talk to Donna. Now, if you came in there and you were discouraged, you need to be jacked up, we'd throw you to Hazel. She said, what's your problem? You got to be strong in Jesus. You got to stand up. You got to have some backbone. Well, boy, the broken gal didn't need Hazel. She needed Donna. Come here, hon. I've been there. I know that. I know what it is to be abandoned. Your brokenness, God will use for his glory. Where you've been, he wants to use right now to touch somebody. Touch somebody. Let me give you a little five-minute quiz, okay? You ready? Oh, I know you are. I can just see your hands moving. But you haven't taken notes since college. Listen, I'm going to give you these profound questions. If I can wade through all this. Um, is number one, are you being equipped? Are you being equipped? Let's say you've not been engaged, you feel ignorant, not trained. Uh, how can we help equip you? I wish you'd tell us that. Do you want to be equipped? Did you know that church life isn't just sitting and hearing us guys and hoping we're interesting? It's God. God's got a plan for you. You just got to get equipped. It'd be good if you can get past Jesus wept and start learning the Word of God. Two, uh, are you serving anywhere in the family? Number two, where, where are you serving? And that's highly personal for you. Are you serving anywhere? Uh, and it doesn't have to be formal office thing. We're, we're in, in our church office. We got sisters now come in. You can talk to Andrea. We got some sisters that come into our church office and, and they just volunteer. I don't know how much a week, but they do this, they do that, they do this. They're not on the payroll. They're there because they love Jesus and they want to help children's ministry. I mean, I cannot tell you how many volunteers run this church. 
really, I, I, I just, you know, and us guys, we go away for a week and the church has a revival. And it's scary. It's why I hate to go. Uh, how are you building up the members of this family? What do you do to build up the members? You. Uh, I, I see some of you, you, you like parachurch. You like, they're really good. I send my money here. Oh, the church here is just a bunch of old clods. I'm not in. Wait, wait, wait. This is God's university. You may have gone AWOL. We got a lot of folks AWOL. Too many blanks in these pews because we're not inviting them or going after them. Uh, you're, you're a wonderful congregation. We just need a bunch, about 100 brand new Christians that when they hear this sermon, they say, it's the greatest thing I ever heard. And some of you can say, I've heard that before. <laughs> no, we want people to be taught and do. Uh, then is the devil deceiving you in any area? You need to write that down. Uh, unforgiveness, maybe. Wrong teaching, whatever. And then I would just say, I had to ask myself this. Have I become a professional churchman because I've lost my first love? Uh, John Piper wrote a book, We Are Not Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And he said, uh, you can go to seminary, you can get a doctorate, you can become a pastor. It can't make you love a flock of people. Only God can do that. Only God can make you love the children that you're teaching. Only God can make you lose sleep over a wayward Christian. You can't buy that. Professionals don't do that. We are not professionals. We are mere Christians struggling through this world, trying to equip, trying to edify the body, trying to do the realm of service he's called us to, trying to discover what the faith is really about, seeking not to be deceived, and now trying to do our part to see the body built up. There's a classic phrase that Howard Hendricks used to give that the, the typical local church reminded him of a football game where you had a bunch of men on a field that were exhausted, bruised, and beat up being watched by 50,000 fans that were out of shape and just ordering another Bud Light. And we got many folks in the church they are just watching the stars here. Well, you better catch that ball. Well, dude, did you see the 270-pound guy coming at me? I was a little spooked. <laughs> no, you didn't get that. You didn't get, what are you doing? What's your part on the team? Well, I'm water boy. It's safe. <laughs> yeah. It could be. God didn't call you to be water boy. He called you to be on the team and to be able to say when you see Jesus, in the last hour of history, I was at my post. I was doing what you called me to do. I was serving in your strength. I'm not making any excuses because Robert Morrison said that famous line, we only have an hour before midnight to win our victories, but we'll have all eternity to celebrate. Our Father, we want to thank you for your university.
And for those believers that have taught us the Word of God, shown us the Word of God, and help get us to service, get us equipped. We just bless your name. Build this church in a way that someone would say, the fingerprints of Jesus is all over this ministry. Jesus, put your handprints all over this ministry. Lead us. Oh, we, as I hear the stats, 10 to 12% of the whole country has stopped going to church. Church attendance is down all across the country. Revival fires don't seem to be burning very. You said to be faithful, preach in season and out, which seems to include all seasons. And Lord, this may not be an end season, but by the grace of God, let us be on duty and out of season, and we'll pray for revival in the meantime. Oh, rain on us. Rain on us. Visit us from heaven. Revive our slumbering spirit. Please let us get back where we're head over heels in love with our Savior. Let us not walk away from that first love, I pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord, and the head of the university. Amen, amen.